are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible tonight and turn with me to two different places, please. The book of Joshua, chapter number 18, and then the book of Numbers as well, chapter number 18. And we'll read one verse out of Numbers, chapter 18, and then we'll read a few verses out of Joshua, uh, chapter number 18 as well. It's good to be in church on Wednesday night. Thank you for being so faithful to the meeting, and I mean that. The Bible makes mention if you just give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, it'll be remembered in heaven. You've done much more than just give a cup of cold water. Thank you for your servant's heart. Thank you for your love for Jesus. And thank you for being faithful to the meeting. I want to thank you for praying for this meeting. We've prayed for it now for several weeks. And uh, I believe God has blessed the meeting because of prayer. Thank you for attending the meeting. It's been a blessing to see full crowds, not just on Sunday, but even through tonight. And thank you for that. We understand you have a busy week busy work day, and yet you've sacrificed and made it a priority to be in the house of God, and I think God will bless you for doing that. I want to thank you for responding to the messages. You know, it's a waste of time just to come and just spectate and go through the motions, but when God speaks to us and dials our number, when we pick up and respond, that's when business can pick up, and I want to thank you for doing that and responding to the Word of God. I want to thank all the staff and uh, I don't guess I have to do that, but I want to do that. I know they've come before every service and they've blown out the tents with blowers. They've gotten the heaters on and uh, they've made sure the chairs are straight. And I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. I don't know who's pulling the shuttles around, but every evening I've been here about five in the afternoon. There's been shuttles driving down this back road and I guess somebody's moving those to make room for parking. Thank you for doing that. Thank you to the parking attendants and the security workers. It's been overtime for you this week, and I want to say thank you for doing that. Of course, thank you to the media department and Brother Moyer for all the work with the cameras and the live streaming. Thank you to Brother Russ and Junar and others for the sound. Thank you for doing all of that. Thank you to Brother Martinez for leading singing every night. That's been a blessing. All the different specials, the solos, the, the groups. Don't take it for granted. A lot of work went into this. Thank you to Brother Galvan and Thank you uh, to uh, Melissa and others who play the piano, uh, Brother Poussin Jr. <laughs> playing the piano. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. Thank you, Pastor, for letting us have a meeting and for following God and God put it on his heart. And thank you for obeying and allowing us to do this. And I appreciate it very much. Thank you for all the different texts as well from different church members. Most of them are positive. <clears throat> anyway, all right, stand to your feet if you're able in the tents tonight. Joshua chapter number 18, we'll read verse number one through seven, and then we'll read a verse out of Numbers chapter number 18 tonight as well. I'm going to give you the thought for tonight, and I'm asking God to meet with us. That's what I want most of all. Verse number one, Joshua chapter 18, the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of the congregation there, and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes, which has not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, How long are you slack to go to possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? Give out from among you three men for each tribe, and I'll send them, and they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them. And they shall come again to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts, 
Judah shall abide in their coasts on the south, and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coasts on the north. You shall therefore describe the land into seven parts, and bring the description hither to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond Jordan on the east which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. In verse number 7, Joshua reiterates a statement made by Moses. We'll read in Numbers. The final allotments of land are being given out to the tribes of Israel. And the Bible talks about the lots cast for these remaining seven tribes. In verse number 7, Joshua reminds the Levites, those who have been set aside, those who've been sanctified and consecrated and singled out to have a special relationship with God, there'd be lots cast for others, but there was no lot to be cast for them. Their inheritance would not be ground. Their inheritance would be God. Their inheritance would not be land. Their inheritance, I'm about ready to preach already, would be the Lord. Yeah, that's pretty good, Brother Bertram. I like it. In verse number 20 of Numbers chapter 18, we find the original statement. Look what the Bible says. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, thou shalt have no inheritance in, watch what he says, their land. It's not your land anyway. Neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. He says, Aaron, I'm sorry, but when we get to the promised land, you're not going to get lakes. You're not going to get any parts of the sea. You'll not get a vineyard. Aaron, I'm sorry. You're not going to get acreage. You'll not build your own house. All you're going to get is God. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought. Sorry, Aaron, but all you get is God. Let's pray tonight. Lord, I pray for power, please. I pray for liberty. God, I pray we'd rejoice in our inheritance tonight. Thank you for being so good to us. We don't deserve it, but you sure are good. I pray you'd help our church. I pray that you'd do something special in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. An old missionary couple had been working in Africa for years. They were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension. Their health was broken. They were defeated, discouraged, and afraid. They discovered that they were booked on the same ship as Teddy Roosevelt. He was returning from a big game hunting expedition. No one paid much attention to them. They watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of the great man. As the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why, should we have given our lives and faithful service for God in Africa all these many years and have no one care a thing about us? Here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes much over him, but nobody cares about us. Dear, his wife said, you shouldn't feel like that. I can't help it. It just doesn't seem right. When the ship docked in New York, a band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival, but no one noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. 
That night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. His wife replied, why don't you go in the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? A short time later, he came out of the bedroom. But now his face was completely different. His wife asked, dear, what happened? The Lord settled it with me, he said. I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, son, you're not home yet. For the best part of what will end up being 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Israel has been closing in on Canaan. Wars, division, chastisement, victories, defeats, fears, and joys of irregular experiences for the people of God who'd left Egypt. The Israelites have battled their way through the wilderness. Many have died during the wandering. It's been a long journey, often made longer by their own disobedience. But soon, they'd cross over Jordan. The long road was nearing its end. Now the time had come where the seven remaining tribes of Israel would be given their inheritance in the promised land. The nation of Israel's gathered at Shiloh. The tabernacle of the congregation has been erected. The land had been subdued. Joshua commands that three men from each tribe of Israel be sent forth into the promised land to divide the land in seven parts. Can you imagine the buzz around the camp of Israel? Can you hear the excitement in the air? Just think of the rising tide of anticipation as they were about to realize what their people had been seeking by faith for decades. The wilderness is about to be traded out for the wonderful land of Canaan. Faith is about to become sight. No more wandering, they'd be home. No more sojourning, they'd be home. No more meals in the wilderness, but milk and honey was waiting for them. Canaan land was just in sight. The men returned from their survey of Canaan. They'd recorded the cities and the specks of the land in a book. They'd take that book and hand it to Joshua. Joshua stands with the book of Canaan in his hand and he begins to cast lots to determine the piece of promised land that would be given to each tribe of Israel. Our text brings us to the final distribution of land to the Israeli tribes. We know from reading the Bible that the tribes of Judah and Ephraim had been assigned their inheritance earlier. Also, Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had already been given their allotment on the east side of Jordan by Moses. But now, the final lots are cast. Benjamin's lot came up first. Simeon's lot came up second. The third lot was for Zebulun. The fourth for Issachar. The fifth for Asher. The sixth lot for Naphtali. And the seventh lot fell for the tribe of Dan. As that final lot fell into that Palestinian soil and the dust rose up around it, it was confirming to the people of God every promise ever made to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And I want you to understand tonight that God always keeps His promise. Now the children of Israel had their inheritance. They'd waited for this since the days of Abraham when he'd set out by faith looking for a city whose builder and maker is God on through the days of 
Isaac and Jacob. Israel had longed for Canaan. They'd felt the sting of the taskmaster's whip and they longed for Canaan. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and they marched toward Canaan. They'd followed the pillar of fire in the cloud and they looked for Canaan. They'd eaten manna from heaven and hunger for Canaan. They'd received the law from Sinai and waited for Canaan. They'd strayed and they'd gotten right and through it all they discovered that God was good to his people. Moses was dead. Moses never received the promise but thank God even though Moses died the promise lived on. Now the land of Canaan was theirs and there was much land to be possessed. In the midst of this scene of casting lots and giving out land there's a statement that seemed to stand out to me. There's joy in the camp and there's victory in the camp. Inheritance is being inherited but in the midst of all of this there's a statement. Imagine lots are being cast but there's a statement. Land is being given out but there is a statement. Inheritance is being gained but there's a statement. Promise is becoming reality but there's a statement. Faith is giving way to sight but there's a statement. In verse 7 of Joshua 18 we find it. It says, but the Levites have no part among you for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. Even before the first lot is cast, the Levites are given a reminder from Joshua that no lot will be cast for them. Land is going to be given out, but no land for the Levites. They could spectate, but not participate. They could look on, but there was no lot for them. They wouldn't get a piece of the promised land. Their inheritance couldn't be measured by acres. It could not be determined by boundary lines. Joshua tells the tribes of Israel, the Levites have no part among you. Now to understand Joshua 18, you have to go back to Numbers 18. And when you come back to Numbers 18, you find that Aaron is the subject of the text. Now you cannot tell the story of Israel's redemption and progress to the promised land without also telling the story of Aaron. Aaron's in the story from the very beginning. A Hebrew couple by the name of Amram and Jochebed had three children. Two boys and one girl were born into their family. Their oldest son Moses was reared in the palace of Pharaoh. But his siblings were raised at home in Goshen as part of the tribe of Levi. Now we know what happens to Moses. One day while tending the flocks of his father-in-law on the backside of the desert. Moses sees a bush burning on the mountain. As he approaches that burning bush, God calls Moses into the ministry and said, you'll stand before Pharaoh and deliver my people. Now let me stop and say, I thank God for those that are willing to answer the call when God calls them into the ministry. Moses explains to God that he's not an eloquent man and he fears his speech will hinder his ability to be a leader. God tells Moses his brother Aaron will be his spokesman. You see, God called Moses, but God also chose Aaron. Aaron is a pivotal part in God's plan of redemption. If Moses is the commander, then Aaron is the chief communications officer. Moses is the leader, but Aaron is the priest. Aaron meets with Moses. They gather the elders of Israel together. Aaron, not Moses, but Aaron tells them that God had spoken
walking in the mount. God has raised up Moses to lead the nation. But it's Aaron that God uses to convince the nation that Moses is ready to lead. From this meeting with the elders, those two men, Moses and Aaron, go to Pharaoh. Aaron is there, right beside of Moses. Moses, with the help of Aaron, delivers the message to Pharaoh, let my people go. You continue through the story. Pharaoh hardened his heart to the word of God. And we find that God uses Aaron repeatedly to be the delivery boy of that message to Pharaoh to set God's people free. You read on. The plagues begin. The first of several contests begin between God and Pharaoh and they're decided by Aaron, not Moses, but by Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod is cast before Pharaoh and it becomes a serpent. Aaron's rod swallows up the rods of the Egyptian sorcerers. Aaron's rod, not Moses, Aaron's rod smote the river in Egypt and the water turns to blood. Aaron is used by God to stretch out his hand over the water and all of a sudden frogs without number swarm the land. Aaron's rod smites the dust and the dust becomes like lice. Even the Egyptians acknowledge that God is working through this man by the name of Aaron. Eventually, Moses, or rather Pharaoh, yields to Moses, yields to Aaron and lets God's people go. Now let me say this. One day, every pagan, reprobate, Bible-rejecting, gospel-rejecting, Christ-denying ruler is going to do the same thing and bend their knee and stick out their tongue to say, He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Aaron was there to watch all of those Jews gather their things, load their wagons, and set out for the will of God. Aaron was there by Moses at the Red Sea. He had a front row seat as God's unseen hand parted the waters. Aaron was there. Aaron was there as they drank the sweetened water in Marah. He was there. Aaron was there as they ate manna that came down from heaven. I mean, he was there. Aaron was there whenever the water came out of the rock in Horeb. Aaron was there. It was Aaron along with her that held up the hands of the man of God so that Israel could prevail against the Amalekites. What I'm saying is Aaron is not a hit and miss church member. Aaron is not on the JV team for God. Aaron is not a slouch, if you will. Aaron was not unfaithful, but he was all in, sold out in the game for God. He's there Sunday morning. He's there Sunday night. He's there Wednesday night. He's there for prayer meeting. He's there for soul winning. He prayed. He walked with God. Aaron is no slouch when it came to spiritual things. God handpicked Aaron and his sons along with 70 elders in Israel to go worship God with Moses. Think about it. The Bible says Aaron got to see God. What an amazing thing. God allowed Aaron to see him. It was Aaron who God chose to be Israel's high priest. It was Aaron who was adorned with special garments. It was Aaron who was anointed. It was Aaron that wore that crown. It was Aaron that stood in the presence of God for the people of Israel. Aaron is important. He'd been there. He'd walked through the wilderness. He'd wandered through the desert. He'd worshiped God. He'd been on the battlefield. He'd climbed the mountains. He'd gone through the valleys. He stood in the gap between God 
God in man. He'd seen the glory of God fill the tabernacle. He had faithfully served the Lord. Now can you imagine the size of property, the kind of inheritance that must be waiting on him in the promised land. Think of the acreage he'd get. Think of the view that he'd get. Imagine the ground that he'd get. If there's milk and honey in Canaan, he'd be getting an ocean of milk and a silo full of honey. No doubt about it. He'd be living large in Canaan land. Think about all the things he did for God. If Judah got land, imagine what Aaron's going to get. If Benjamin got land, imagine what Aaron's going to get. If the other tribes got fields uh, to, to grow crops and uh, fields to have their flocks graze in, imagine what Aaron's going to get. But the Bible tells us that's not what happened here in the story of Aaron. In Numbers 18, God has been speaking to and through Aaron. The rebellious crowd that followed Korah had been swallowed up. Aaron's rod is budded, proving to the nation that he is God's chosen high priest. And now in chapter 18, God confirms that priesthood upon Aaron, and he outlines his responsibility to his God and to his nation. In verse number 20, you can look at it with me. He makes the statement, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. God reveals to Aaron he wouldn't have any fields to plow. He wouldn't have any land to keep. He wouldn't get any flocks to raise. He wouldn't have any fruit to cultivate. Aaron wouldn't get the 401k. He wasn't going to have the picket fence. He wouldn't get the new bass boat. All Aaron was going to get, all the Levites were going to get when they ventured into Canaan, all they were going to get was God himself. They'd be perpetual pilgrims. They'd be strangers just to pass him through. They'd get spiritual service, but no earthly substance. All the other tribes will get lakes and streams, but all they were going to get was God. I want to say sorry, Aaron. The other tribes will get ground to grow crops. All Aaron would get was God. I want to say sorry, Aaron. The other tribes will get land to possess and a place to call home. They'd have the mountains and the valleys, but all Aaron was going to get was God. All the other tribes would get to watch the flocks, but they'd have to just look on. They wouldn't get flocks of their own. I want to say sorry, Aaron. All you you get is God. The other tribes will get a yearly harvest. They'd enjoy the fruit of their labor, but not Aaron and the Levites. All they were going to get was God. No farm for Aaron. No land for the Levites. No homestead for them. All they got was God. Now imagine many of the more carnally minded folks in that crowd that day felt sorry for Aaron. I'd say they felt sorry for the Levites. Maybe the Levites even had a moment of self-pity upon themselves. I can hear the conversation. Did you hear? Poor Aaron won't get any land. Well, I heard he won't even get 10 head of cattle. Those old Levites are going to miss out. They're not going to get a big house. 
They're not going to get to choose property. Why? How in the world are they going to ever make a living? Where in the world are they going to live? What a sad thing. They're not going to get a new shotgun. They're not going to drive a new truck. They're not going to be building any big building. Poor old Aaron. Poor old tribe of Levi. All they get is God. We get all this land. We get all these streams. We get all these vineyards. We get parts of the sea. And they're stuck with God. You see, Aaron would never make the Forbes 500 list. He wasn't going to be on the Canaan land quarterly. He wouldn't be picking out pink colors at the Canaan land lows. He wouldn't be choosing draperies or hiring a surveyor. The title deed to what Aaron would get couldn't be touched or tilled or decorated with tapestry. Sorry, Aaron. All those years of wandering. All those years of warfare. All those years of walking with God. All those years of doing the work of God. All those years in the will of God. And all you're going to get is God. Maybe sometimes Aaron wrestled inside of himself. Maybe Aaron was like we would be. I'm sure he wanted a home. I'm sure he wanted some land. I'm sure he wanted some earthly possession. Maybe he thought I should have chosen another career path. Maybe it's not worth it to serve God. Maybe it'd be better if I was just be like everybody else. No doubt if you asked his flesh, Aaron and the Levites probably would have liked to have had a house like everybody else, land like everybody else, acreage to pass down to their children like everybody else. No doubt they wanted something to call their own just like everybody else. Maybe they desired to be more like the other tribes. They wanted to have something they could touch, something they could hold, something they could see. But I'm sorry to say, Aaron, all you're going to get is God. When you cross into Canaan land, you're going to get God. You won't get the promised land, but you'll get the God of the promise. Your inheritance won't be wrapped up in wheat or contained in cattle or marked by property lines or covered in posted signs. God will be your inheritance. Now let me say, you might feel apt to feel a little sorry for Aaron. I mean, isn't he being shortchanged and mistreated? But I want to say, don't cry for him. Don't pine away for him. Don't get out your slack cloth and ashes for him. You can't put a price tag and you can't put a surveyor's boundary on what Aaron and the Levites were about to get. To the worldly mind, it might look bad. But if you ask me, they look blessed. Their estate couldn't be measured. Their inheritance could not be counted. There's no bank that could hold their assets. There's no fence that could wrap their property line. Yes, Judah, you get your land, but Aaron gets God. Yes, Reuben, you get land, but Aaron gets God. Yes, Dan, you can have land, but Aaron gets God. Yes, Gad, you get land, but Aaron gets God. Yes, Asher, you get land, but Aaron gets God. Yes, is a car you get land but Aaron gets God he's gonna get he's gonna get God the God that inhabits the throne the God that exists eternally the God that exhaled everything into being the God that escorted them out of bondage into promise sorry Aaron all you get is God Aaron all you get is the tabernacle all you get is the temple all you get is the mercy seat all you get is the holy of holies all you get is the presence of God Adam got Eden Abraham got Isaac 
David got a throne, but Aaron got God. They weren't living downstream. They were camped out at the headwaters. They were right there in his presence. Thank God everybody else got a plate, but they got the banquet table. The rest got a cup, but they got the well. The rest got a blessing, but they got the blesser. Others had a casual walk. They got a close walk. Others got a glimpse of God. They got to gaze on God. Others got the promise, but they got the person. One day, those barns are going to rot. One day, those fields are turned fallow. One day, those sheep are going to die. One day, that water well, that well run dry. One day, that inheritance will corrupt. But Aaron, what you have, it won't rot. It won't die. It can't be measured in money. Aaron, you get God. Hey, Aaron, we're over here building our house. What are you doing? I'm just spending time with God. We're about to go till our fields. What about you? Think I'll just go talk to God. We're going to go feed our flocks. What about you? Think I'll just go sit a while with God. We're going to go fish in the lake. What about you? Think I'll just go spend time with God. We're about to go enjoy fun with our families. What about you? Think I'll just go spend time with God. If Israel wanted anything from God, how did they get it? I tell you how they got it. They had to get it through Aaron. Boy, I sure feel sorry for him. He didn't get a thing that world had to offer. Well, he didn't get anything tangible. He didn't get anything that the flesh would call treasure. He didn't get anything you could touch or take the pulse of. He didn't get anything that would look good on the books. But he got, but he got more than that. You say, what did he get? I tell you what he got. He got God. Can I remind you tonight that our heritage as born again, blood-washed children of God, is not a legacy of worldly comfort or temporal success or tangible treasure. If you study those from whence we've come, our heritage is filled with men and women who for the sake of the gospel were made a spectacle and a gazing stock. They dwelled in dungeons. They were applauded in the arena. They wore sackcloth and ra as raiment. Faith was their only currency. They were called drunk. They were called unlearned. They were called ignorant. They were called stirs of sedition and troublemakers. They were seen as fools. They were called pilgrims and strangers. They were sojourners. Our heritage is that of men and women who are destitute, poor, hungry, and hiding, threatened with death, and martyred for the faith, yet they counted it all as gain. I think about Moses. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. He counted not his life dear unto himself that he might finish his course with joy. And he pressed toward the mark. Can I say tonight this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. They'd say look at that crowd. Those poor Christians. They don't get any land. They don't get our bank account. They don't get our accolade. They don't get our degrees. They don't get our renown. They don't get our our amusement. They don't get our parties. They don't get our lasciviousness. They don't get our lust. They don't get our murder. They don't get our heartache. I feel sorry for that crowd. Look at those Christians with their modest apparel. I mean those women that dress like women and those men that dress like men. I feel sorry for them. They don't understand fashion. Look at those Christians. They're so concerned with church. They're there Sunday morning. They're back Sunday night. They're there on Wednesday night. I sure feel sorry for them. Oh, look at those Christians. They don't get to enjoy every crude movie that comes to us from Hollywood. They don't get, they don't stay upon that. I feel sorry for that crowd. Look at those Christians. I mean, always serving God. Look at those Christians. I mean, never do anything for themselves. Those poor Christians sure did get the short end of the stick. I feel bad for those Christian teenagers. 
Oh, that's go to a Christian school. Oh, they don't get taught evolution and abortion and perversity and homosexuality and sodomy. I feel sorry for you girls. Have to dress modest. Don't get taught to advertise your body to a wicked world. I feel sorry for you boys. Get under the spout where conviction comes out. I mean, get challenged and live for God. I feel sorry for that crowd. I feel sorry for you Bible college students. Poor boys, I feel bad for you. Got to have some decent standards in your life. Get taught to pray and read your Bible. Go soul winning. I mean, I feel bad for you college girls because these boys are so ugly. I actually mean that. Oh, I feel sorry for you Christian families. You go out to Safeway or Costco. People think you're Amish or Mennonite or from some cult because you have enough sense to dress like a Christian does. I mean, you don't stay up on the latest fashion. Can I say that's okay? The world can keep their Emmys. They can have their Oscars. They can have their Grammys. They can have their Peace Prize. They can have their shoe deal. They can have their TV spot. They can have their magazine cover. Our legacy as a child of God is the best as yet to come. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I know you hear it from your neighbors. I know you hear it from backslidden Christians. I know you hear it from family. I know we hear it in surround sound from the devil himself. But just remind them, we might not get what they got, but we got more than they'll ever get. We've got God tonight. Maybe you've let the devil whisper in your ear. The Bible says in 1 Peter we have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Just like the Levites of the Old Testament, so you and I are priests with God in the New Testament. Maybe you've been measuring your incorruptible inheritance up to their corruptible inheritance. Maybe you've let our materialistic society and this everybody gets the latest iPhone age convince you that the grass is greener on the other side. You look at what the world parades around and sometimes wish... Wouldn't you just like to maybe cast one lot in my direction? Isn't there any piece of action for me? And maybe you thought lately it's just not worth it. This maybe is not the right way to go. Maybe I ought to rethink this old time religion thing. Maybe I'll just quit. Maybe you've sat alone in your office and thought about another location or another occupation or another church to attend that might be a little bit more palatable to a lost world and thought, I feel sorry for my family. Maybe you've sat there in your little home and thought, we could have so much more if we'd sell out to this world and not be so faithful to God and felt sorry for yourself. Maybe you've considered the opinion of our community toward old-time Christianity, and then you began to feel sorry that you have some convictions that you live by. Maybe you begin to get a little bit sick of the increasingly anti-Christian climate of our political leadership, and you've gotten to feel a little sorry for yourself. Maybe you've sat there and you homeschool your children, or maybe your children go to the Christian school, and you've thought this from the flesh side of things. I wish they could go to a bigger school. I wish they had more extracurricular activities. I wish they could get an accredited from the world education and felt sorry for yourself. Maybe you've looked at some of your friends who aren't Christians and longed for what they have and felt sorry for yourself. Maybe you thought we can't keep up with the latest trends in fashion and felt sorry for yourself. Maybe you're there barely paying your bills and for some reason feel sorry for yourself. You're watching the lost world, drive big cars, have big meals, live in a big way, and 
you felt sorry for yourself. You say, we don't get anything. Can I say, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You say, what do you get tonight? I tell you what we get, not a whole lot. We just get God. We get the God of eternity, the God of creation, the God who controls it all, the God who is, was, and ever shall be. We get the God who pardons and provides, the God who saves and seals, the God who sustains us. We get the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We get the God of the Red Sea, the lion's den, and Pentecost. We get the God who died and buried and rose again. We get the God who's in me and by me and for me. Thank God we have the God who's under me and around me and on the throne in heaven tonight. You can't put a price tag on what you and I have. You say it sure is bad. That's all right. It sure is going to get better. We get God tonight. You say, where's my big house? Where's my new car? Where's my nice clothes? Maybe you thought, maybe it doesn't pay to serve God. If I could be there and encourage Aaron, I'd say, Aaron, you're blessed. I feel bad for the rest of that crowd. You realize what they're getting? You realize what you're getting? God is your ground. The Lord is your portion. Your inheritance is the immutable one. The will of God is your vineyard. All the food that falls on your table comes from God. All the clothes that wrap around your back comes from God. All the needs in your life are met from God. Let that other crowd work their land. God's going to provide for you. All that work is worth it. All that worship is worth it. All that wandering is worth it. Why? Because you're going to get God. Now listen, I wasn't there to cheer them up, but I'm here tonight to try to cheer us up. Every day, study the world. It sounds like another celebrity kills themselves through suicide. Another divorce on the headline of our magazine drug abuse and drunkenness and rioting and raving everywhere and yet we have Christian people thinking I'd like to have a piece of that pie I don't want a thrill from a bag or bottle I got a thrill from a book that changed my life forever I don't feel sorry for me I don't feel sorry for you we're blessed beyond measure tonight we get God I got a mansion on streets of gold I got a name in the book of life my big brother is Jesus my father is God couldn't go to hell if you told me to save to the uttermost and I know that I am I feel sorry for you don't feel sorry for me I'm saved I get God tonight oh I feel bad for you Jeremiah no converts nobody likes your preaching cast deep down in that miry pit oh don't you feel bad for me this world is not my home I'm just a passing through I've got God Abraham I feel bad for you had to leave your family and go out by faith. A lot of heartache in your life. Don't feel bad for me. I got God. Paul, I feel bad for you. Cast off by your family. Outcast of society. Hunted and hated and maligned and slandered. Don't feel bad for me. Demons forsook me, but God never did. I've got God. John the Beloved, I feel bad for you. Boiled alive, exiled, left for dead. Oh, don't feel bad for me. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and all of a sudden on that island guess who showed up I got God Peter I feel bad for you 
Oh, I hate you got to be crucified upside. Don't feel bad for me. I found one who could restore and one who would use me. And I got God. And I feel bad for you. Barren and can't have babies. I mean, afflicted by your accuser every day. And then she'd introduce you to her son and say, I got him because I got him. Don't feel bad for me. I've got God. Shadrach, I feel bad for you. Abednego, I feel bad for you. Daniel, I feel bad. Don't feel bad for us. We found out there's one in Babylon who was in Judah too. We don't have what they have, but we've got God. Maybe the Levites would sing to themselves every once in a while. Long before the fall of man, God designed a master plan. And they'd get to that chorus and say, He is mine. He is mine. And I'm blessed beyond all measure. Why? Because He is mine. You're here tonight and you say, Brother Cooper, we just... I don't know. We don't have what they have. That's right. Thank God for it. I don't want their drunkenness. I don't want their dope addiction. I don't want their craziness. I don't want their puking in the ditch. I don't want their divorce and murder. I don't want their slander and perversity. They can keep all that mess. I think I'll just go with God. All we get is justified. All we get is saved. All we get is forgiven. All we get is loved unconditionally. All we get is eternal security. Oh, I might do this for two hours. All we get is cared for. All we get is our prayers answered. All we get is our steps directed. All we get is eternal life. All we get is access to a throne. All we get is atoning blood. All we get is grace and mercy. All we get is promises. All we get is needs supplied. All we get is peace. All we get is heaven. All we get is everything we need and most everything we want. Don't cry for me. I've got it all right. You say, where'd you get what you got? I got it from God. Let the celebrity have his fame. Let the CEO have his fortune. Let the politician take his recognition and let the sinners have their acceptance. I think I'll just take God. There's a song. Brother Martinez, if you'll come, we'll sing it. I'd like to preach a lot longer and a lot harder, but my voice is about stripped out. Page 474 in our hymn book. I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world affords today. I'm about sick and tired of Christian people walking around with their shoulders drooped, their lip pooched out, their feet shuffling and living a victim mentality kind of life like we're on the losing end. Can I say we're not on the losing end? We're on the winning side. You say, I don't get anything. Oh yeah, you do. You get God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.